2: Good news, there's a club for you, the Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and
3: pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an interview series presented by WFPK, Independent Louisville at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, If you're already a subscriber, thanks for subscribing. If you're not, now's the time to hit that subscribe button. We put out interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, as well as its premiere on Consequence of Sound. Of course, you can also subscribe on uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. And if you're already a subscriber, uh, take that moment to get the series rating. Leave a review. Do the whole thing. You know the drill. I'm Kyle Mare today my guest is Craig Finn of The Hold Steady. The band is back with a brand new album called Thrashing Through the Passion. It's the first record in five years. And while they have been here through those years in between... Craig says it's alright to call this one a comeback record. We'll hear about what characters populate the landscape this time around, and how they compare to the ones that we heard from uh, Craig Finn's latest solo record, I Need a New War, which actually also came out this year. We'll get into the details of what makes being a fan of the Hold Steady so much fun. Not just the big soaring choruses, but the callbacks between songs, the way some of the new songs talk to the old songs and reference these little lyrics that are all throughout the catalog, and the community. This band is so much about their community, which I don't have to tell you— in 2019 is a very important thing. We'll also talk a little bit of Stones, a little bit of R.E.M., a little bit of E Streets. Which, speaking of the E Street band, the Hold Steady's starting to get very close to how many members they've got in the band compared to Bruce's crew. And that is discussed as well. Talking about the album Thrashing Through the Passion, it's Kyle Meredith with the Hold Steady. Hey, this is Craig. Congratulations on Thrashing Through the Passion. Uh, you know, the Hold Steady's not exactly been gone, but does this feel like the comeback record that it's being painted painted to be? Well, it's been
4: five years, which in Hold Steady World is a lot is a long time, you know. I mean we haven't gone um well I guess we went from twenty ten to twenty fourteen and then twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen. So but for the first part of the band we were putting out records pretty much every year or every other year. And uh so yeah, it does feel like a, a comeback. And this is the first record with this uh, lineup, um, the six-piece lineup with Franz back in the fold, and but, you know, retaining Steve Selvich. And uh, I, I say this a lot, but this is, I'm sure of it, the best lineup the Holt Steady has ever had. So it's great to have new music coming out created by this lineup of the band.
2: Well, having them both in there th- this time around, and, and, you know, you've had the live shows to kind of ramp up to it, but how did that change the dynamics of the actual writing
4: Well, I mean, we have music coming from three different directions now, you know, I mean, for this record, um, Steve, you know, I generally write the lyrics and the music is generated by one of the other writers. And, you know, usually um, one of the other guys, Tad or Franz or Steve, gives me parts of a song and I kind of put some words around and then we kind of get together and collaborate on, on it. But so, you know, we have a third person uh, who's coming up with stuff so that you know that increases the amount of material and um, I mean I think some of the story of this lineup this band is Stephen Franz very adeptly and uh, awesomely figuring out, you know, how they both fit in the band and how they can play off each other. Um, they stand next to each other on stage, so there's sort of this great stage right vibe happening, and, and it took a little work, I'm sure, for each of them to sort of give each other space and you know, find the right parts, but I, I think that's been a huge story about this lineup of the band.
2: I mean, you're getting to those E Street numbers at, at this point, <laughs> getting closer to that anyway.
4: So. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're like one away from being, a, you know, a big band.
2: Well, it seems like that's that's would be such a challenge in the writing because for a lot of artists and musicians, they they talk about the key is to know when not to play, you know, when you have that much going on, you know, I I, I feel like that would be a big thing. Like, how do we just like layer on layer on layer?
4: I think it would have been harder for us if we were younger. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's some things that you kind of say like, no, I think it's easier to not play at 40 than it is at 20, for instance.
2: (laughs) The characters always play a big part in, in a Hold Steady song and a Craig Finn solo song. Who, who are these characters?
4: Well, I mean, they're people doing uh, doing their things, in, in, as Hold Steady always is. I mean, these aren't, you know, these are all new characters that I've kind of come up with. And um, because, you know, we recorded this in fits and starts, we, you know, we were kind of recording five songs at a time and putting out, you know, music along the way digitally. And so, um, you know, this isn't like, you know, I don't think there's a, an overarching narrative to the record as there have been, you know, with some, most notably Separation Sunday. So, you know, they're, they're more vignettes. But, um, you know, I think. These characters are the same people that have always populated the steady songs. People making bad decisions and uh, and following those bad decisions belligerently to their logical conclusions. But you know, th- th- there um, there are you know some similarities and some uh, and some through lines even to the older stuff. I mean, you know, it kicks off with the song Denver haircut, which is Denver's come up with a lot in a lot of Holt steady songs before. And um, I think blackout Sam is the only character that's referenced in the title. But yeah, I mean, I writing and character in enjoying that, and uh, the characters are still having difficulties, uh, you know, behaving themselves.
2: <laughs> You've done a lot of callbacks, you know, intertwine the history of songs here and there all, all throughout your catalog, which is really, really fun for a fan does that come natural for you, or, or are you throwing those in there to uh, to add that extra layer?
4: Well, both. I mean, I think they come natural to me because I know, like, when I was a listener, I, that's something I really enjoy. I, you know, I am still am a listener. That I really enjoy. And kind of an inside joke or a, an Easter egg or whatever you want to call it to reward the close listeners is fun and, uh, you know, keeps people engaged. But it excites me as well as it hopefully excites the listener.
2: I was reading one reviewer, and, and whether or not this is true, they, they had... I think they said that Entitlement Crew was like a sequel to Sequestered in Memphis. <laughs> but just to have that, uh, you know, that that ability to, to even, you know, uh, hypothesize on something like that, you know? It's like, is it? Is it?
4: You know, I... I really happy like when you know when people go deep like that and i sort of think the best thing for me to do sometimes is just to let people have those theories without (laughs) commenting because you know you don't want to shut down any of these paths uh, because they're all very fun
2: a lot of artists of course grappling with you know whether to write about the bigger picture of what's happening on the on the outside you know in in the big world And, and and i've heard you say the solo career gives you the ability to write very small stories while the hold steady is bigger stories do these characters does the political landscape uh, landscape surround these characters in the same way that it's inundating us in, in real life
4: it's funny I, I I do feel like the solo record I made this year I need a new war is definitely more um, affected by the political landscape you know it, it, it kind of exists more in a, a real world um, where I think the Hold Steady the people in Hold Steady songs are obviously affected um, but it may it may contain a little less commentary but you know I think I think we I, I want to write honest, real characters, and those characters would have, you know, to be honest and real, you would obviously be affected by the policies and um, some of the other things surrounding the uh, uh, current administration.
2: It's always inspiring to hear you talk about a community because it's always been a part of the Hold Studies MO from the very beginning, and building a community in a time of questionable questionable community, uh, you know, probably couldn't be more important. I don't know, is that lost on you? Because here you are back at a time when I think – yeah, you know, to whatever percentage of the world, you know, will hear the Hold Steady. Uh, it's important for the Hold Steady to exist right now.
4: Yeah, and we hear that a lot. I mean, in 2016, we came back in December. That was sort of our, you know, uh, our big first. Um, I guess we came back in the summer, but uh, we came back and did these four shows at the Brooklyn Bowl. In December 16, right after the election, I definitely heard a lot of, like, we needed that, you know. <laughs> people are really, um, yeah, I think people we hopefully give people a place to go in and feel good, commune with like-minded people and, you know, be safe and be um, exuberant and celebratory. And um, the community around this band is, uh, we just wrapped up three shows in Seattle and it, it, I never forget it, but the shows are absolutely always just reminders of what what a beautiful community has sprung up around this band and how, how they take care of each other and how they inter- they sort of exist partly, you know, at least a large part, outside of the band. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're kind of this destination thing, but they don't really need us at this point, it feels like, you know, <laughs> it's just something to something to do, and everyone knows the worst of the songs.
2: For what happened in the last few years, I mean, again, there was never a point where the whole Steady said we're actually taking a hiatus we're, we're breaking up or not that i saw anyway but uh but it would seem like to me like for a lot of these folks who do use you as that uh you know reason for community as that as that access to community and everything it had to be a questionable time in there like is this still a thing or, or are we still going and <laughs> and for you all yeah. did it ever get to a point of who do we want this band to be in this era?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we were sort of a little bit lost and, and and most certainly fatigued, you know, after about, you know, 2015 and and you know, we really, you know, after a break, we've kind of come back and very like, you know, we've been very strategic about what we're doing and what we're allowing ourselves to do. And I think that in itself has invigorated the band hugely. I mean, you know, we've changed the way we tour or we kind of go and pick major markets and play three shows the time and them, and and ask some of the people to you know to come to us uh, rather than barnstorming, doing thirty dates in a row and coming back you know exhausted and and. You know spending most of our time on travel and setting up and tearing down gear with well, these weekends, we set up the gear once and things get way more musical. Um, you know we use our sound checks to play figure out what song we haven't played in five years. And throw that at the fans or or learn a new song. And all of that, you know, kind of questioning how we're doing things and doing things differently has really supercharged this sort of energy around the band. And um, I think that's what allowed us to come back and make thresh through the passion. Uh, just of changing the way we think about things.
2: Yeah, which, by the way, is, is a perfect title for this band. Like, I, I, I feel like at any point in your career, you could have used that title, Thrashing Through the Passion.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw it. I, it was a lyric to the song. You did good, kid. And I was like, oh, that. that I think that's it. You know, <laughs> I right. think that's the one.
2: You, you know, you know, you talk about being a, a rock fan and everything, and and you're you're kind of like a rock historian. You know, <laughs> to to some kind of degree. Like, you you know what bands go through. You know the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys, you know, and, and what a middle period looks like for a band. Had you yeah. done your own comparisons as to figure out how to navigate the next, the next chapter?
4: I, you know, I, it feels uncharted after, like, album five. You really can't look at rock and roll history and say, like, I definitely love that seventh album. You know, <laughs> so... So you know, your third, you can be like, oh, I want it to be like this or that, you know. But but the, the the seventh, you're kind of dealing in strange waters. So so you know, there wasn't an obvious parallel. But you know, you do. I think you do really start to admire the bands that hit, that did a lot, that stuck around a long time. You know, you can say I've always loved REM, mm-hmm. but you know, in 2019, I look at REM just as like the greatest i mean like you know wow look at what they did like they just cr- created this a massive catalog of music they always changed and they never got bad and it was always cool and um and, and they also did what they wanted you know and it was artistically fresh. so i uh, you know I, there's appreciation for that kind of thing in the rock and roll annals that um that only increases with age
2: there was uh, another reviewer i think that um you're Talking about the bands that have been around long, you referenced the Rolling Stones a few times. I think in this record, at least a couple, and 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 yeah. they said this record. I forget which uh, which Stones record they were comparing it to, but it was sort of a comeback record for the Stones. And they said, "Oh, that makes sense because this is that record for them." You know, whether it was Exile or something like that. But
4: uh... it was some girls. <laughs> oh, think, that's it. Me? Some
2: girls. You're right. Yeah,
4: yeah. And funny enough, we saw the Stones the other night in Seattle, and you know, that's another thing. You're like, wow. Like, look at this—50 years or however many years—and it was still a great show.
2: Well, again, you know, having um, having a band like the Hold Steady, like REM, like the Stones, where you can kind of hold on to that throughout the years. I mean, it is important, and and I thank you guys for sticking through it because because this record is is so damn fun, and uh, you know, to to have a fun record in what seems like serious times, even if these characters aren't having a fun time themselves. You know, that's important.
4: Well, they suffer, so we don't have to. You know? <laughs>
2: I Appreciate that. Well, Craig, thank you so much uh, again for the talk today. Congratulations on Thrashing Through the Passion. And uh, I look forward to seeing one of these shows again. I haven't seen you guys in a bit.
4: Well, I, I hope uh, you, you'll, you'll get that chance soon. So I appreciate it, Kyle. And we'll see you uh,
2: soon. All right, man. Take care. See ya. Big thanks. Craig Finn, The Hold Steady. The new record is called Thrashing Through the Passion. And uh, as a bonus, Craig's new solo record called I Need a New War. Now, a little bonus interview here. We talked about it being five years since The Hold Steady had released a record. That one that came out five years ago in 2014 was called Teeth Dreams. And it was then that I caught up with uh, with Craig and Tad that time around. Let's talk about that album's harder rocking sound, Tennessee Roots, and also how one of Craig's solo records influenced that particular LP. A little bonus interview, part two of Kyle Meredith with The Hold Steady. Hey, how are you? I'm Hi. great. It's good to see you, especially with a new record. We're excited. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's uh, Teeth Dreams, because I keep getting it backwards. (laughs) Dream? Dream Teeth? Yeah. Really Dream dream Police,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but
3: different.
2: You know, uh, uh, which, of course, recalls all of those dreams you always have about uh, losing your teeth and everything, but I guess it was from uh, Infinite Jest. Well, I I
0: mean, it's about teeth. It's about kind of, it's about, those are teeth dreams or anxiety dreams, so it kind of ties to that, but there is a good scene in Infinite Jest where someone's talking about having teeth dreams, but it turns out they're dreaming of someone else's teeth. And I, I thought that was really funny.
2: And you tying anxiety
0: into an album, that's yeah. got to be new. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it felt like, uh, well, these are anxious times we live in, you that's know? That's
2: true, it's true. Well, let's talk about this, because uh, it, it's a new sound that, you know, I, I think that's the first story on this record. It's a bigger sound, mm-hmm. is what we're talking about here. Uh, like, it was finally time from what it looks like on the outside for you guys to graduate from being the bar band that everyone has always said you were to something bigger. I mean, is that fair? I think so. Yeah. 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 So I mean, when you go into this though, do you know that you're doing that? Do you say it's time to write the bigger record? It's time to do this or do you just kind of notice it as it's going along?
3: No, I don't I don't it's not there's anything that's that real deliberate about yeah. it. Um you just it's a progression that I think just happens. Yeah. Um, well,
0: one of the big things was Steve Selvidge, our second guitar player, joined for the touring on the last record and wrote and recorded this record with us. Mm-hmm. So I think that had a pretty big impact, impact on making things bigger. Yeah. You know, two big guitars and the guitar. It's a really guitar-focused record. I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, so when you guys are writing like that, though, I mean, not knowing that you're going to be going in like that, though, it, it would see it, like. Because if you did, you have to think, oh, if I'm going to do something else, I have to rewrite. I have to change how I write altogether, basically. You know, and, and I guess that doesn't happen here, that you guys don't go in and you're like, we have to figure out how to write a song differently than we've ever written it before.
3: No, not, not particularly. The, I mean, the nice thing is, is that there isn't any one way that we always write a song. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways they, they happen or can happen, and especially on this record with Steve being involved, um, there were times where you know him being in Memphis mm-hmm. uh, being in Brooklyn we'd send ideas back and forth you know we we've both got ways to record at home stuff like that um, and that, that was one of the ways ideas came together or you know I would sit at home and really try to work on something until I I in the past I may have brought an idea in that was kind of half-baked or something right. like that where this one I f- took more time to work on stuff before bringing it into to the band, um, but then there were some times when I didn't, too, and then you work on it as a whole. So, I mean, there isn't any one particular way they, the yeah. songs happen.
2: Yeah. yeah, I did read at one point, though, that uh, you wrote a lot of the songs and recorded some of the songs without Craig. Yeah. Like, you were away on the solo tour, I guess. Had that ever happened before, or was that
0: something new? No, no, it hadn't happened per se, but, I mean, a lot of the songs do come together where the music comes first, sure. and then I write lyrics yeah. to them. And that's—I'd say—the majority of them kind of happen that way. Yeah. So no, I guess geographically, it wasn't as separate. But you know, um, it, it, there usually is like some amount of music that takes place before I get going on the words.
2: Right. And with you on that tour, um, and I guess it's comparing records, which is never a fair <laughs> thing to do. But looking at Heaven Is Whatever and then the solo record, uh, seemed to be a little bit more country tinged. I'm only.
0: Using Certain, the generic thing well, of that. Certainly, the solo record.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I guess there were parts on Heaven Was Never That had that those little parts. It, I mean, I don't want to say it looks like this is a reaction to
0: that, but in some sense, it almost looks like this record is a reaction to that. This is a big. I mean, it's a big rock record, but in, I guess the one thing for me was it was it was fun and exciting to be able to flex a different muscle and go do something that's pretty quiet.
3: Yeah.
0: And that kind of both physically and creatively made me excited to do something loud again.
2: Yeah. So with, uh, you're the guitarist in Tennessee or in Memphis? Is that the reason why you went to Tennessee? Yeah. Uh, recorded in Nashville,
3: right? No, that we that we, was no. 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 That's where Nick was located. We went down to Memphis a couple times in early 2012 to yeah. Steve's place. He's got a little home studio there, and and did some writing sessions. But when it came time to record the record, and we ended up working with Nick. His studio is in Franklin, okay. just you know south of Nashville. Mm-hmm. So. That was where we went. And it was nice to be able to... It was the first record we have done out of the New York area, and it was really great to be able to go and just be recording.
0: And yet you didn't end up with your country record. No. no. <laughs> well, that's funny. We went to Nashville to make our biggest rock record. Yeah, right. I mean, a lot of that is Nick. Nick and Nick is mm. the producer, who is also... A pretty big rock. Per- I mean, yeah. you know, his records tend to be big rock records. did the Foo, Fri- Foo Fighters and Rush. Right. And, uh, you know, working with him may have also kind of interjected this yeah. bigger rock. Any more
2: than that. So with the way this record sounds, though, do you see that this is going to be a divisive record for a lot of fans? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, there are some bands out there, I guess you say, that um, I wouldn't say they took pride, but they, it was more strategic where they said, we're only going to hold on to the fans who's okay with change. Because there are always fans who hold on to one album and and groan and everything. I mean, you guys have a very specifically cool fan base who are very passionate about Mm -hmm. you guys.
3: Like I think it, given from you know, stay positive to heaven was never to this record, or even you know from the first one to this one, it doesn't seem like a a massive, you know, 180 degree change in what we're doing at all. It just seems pretty natural. Um, So I don't think it. I don't know that it sounds. You know radically different. I just think it's a you know, it's a bigger record that was a part of the evolution, right?
2: And I should say, I've only heard two songs
0: at this point,
3: yeah. <laughs> and well,
0: there are really killer big two songs, yeah. by the way. So, there's I mean, there, there we have plenty of room to grow, sure. You know what I mean? Like, sure. like we do have a great fan base, but uh, there's, there's plenty of room for other people to yeah. come aboard. Are mm. you
2: purposely doing anything new with your v- vocals? It seems like there's more. Actual singing, like there might have you know, been more longer. singing,
0: um, and there might have been more pros, like you know stuff. Um, uh, yeah. Nick may have treated him more, yeah. Um, but I think there's probably more singing and uh, less talking. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that's going to be one of the things somebody's going to say.
0: I feel like someone's yeah. going to say it ain't me saying it. Yeah, so. right. So gonna <laughs> say. I'm just planting the seed. talking.
2: Yeah,
3: but see, I think there are a lot of good kind of classic Craig Finn right. moments, like songs like I With the Business," something like that, and Nick. You know, a lot of times in the studio, whoever we were working with, because Craig is so sibilant mm-hmm. you know, and and they would have to really treat his vocals to get it to not sound like that. Right. Where Nick kept a lot of that in and said, I don't want to lose that because that's what makes Craig, Craig. That's the whole study right yeah. there. Yeah, And, yeah. and I, it was surprising at first, but I think it's... It sounded, so it was kind of the opposite. It was l- almost less treated. it's
2: right. interesting. There's also a quote that's, uh, of course, been circulating at this point that has freaked out fans, and that's uh, talking about how, uh, it may, I think it was you that said there was a point where you thought that might have been the last record. Have yeah. It, it might have been the last record, right? Well,
3: it was one of those things where it took us kind of a long time to get going. You know, we had so much momentum that I think was really carrying us through Heaven is whenever, and I don't think we realized how much of that momentum was a part of what we were doing. And then when you take a break, mm-hmm. it's th- that's when you realize, like, oh my God, you know, and it was harder to kind of get that momentum back with the creative process because sure. you kind of have to get yourself, you know, mentally prepared for that. It's like running a marathon; you right. wouldn't just, you know, throw on your shoes and and go out and hit a marathon. You kind of have to get yourself in shape to do that.
2: Looking back, in fact, it seems like maybe in your songwriting, the way you would approach it, you all come from these backgrounds. You all come from almost rock critic backgrounds. In fact, you were kind of a rock critic <laughs> uh, you know, at some point. Um, I think there's a lot of that. If you know rock and roll well, it almost would seem scary to write certain songs. Like how could we ever live up to that? You know, what, what song, what do you mean? Uh, there's a lot of bands that would come in, and they don't listen to music, you know. They, they don't pay attention to it outside of what they're writing. They just do it. But if you know a lot about the history of rock and roll, if you know what Pink Floyd did, the ins and outs, and if you know what the Replacements did, the ins and outs, it almost seems like that would be, you know, weighing on your mind each time you'd write a song.
3: Yeah. It's more I inspiring, more. I think, than anything it? else. Yeah. You have more to
0: pull from. You have, you know, yeah. more, you, know you, you might have more diverse interests, or, you know, you might think of something that you want, you know. Um, I don't know if it's scary. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just more inspiring. Yeah, inspiring.
2: Yeah, there's some themes you're talking about on this one. It's truth,
0: truth, and anxiety are the big ones, yeah. and the idea that the two relate. I think a lot. You know, I mean, um, sort of like when you tell the truth, there's almost like a relief at mm-hmm. times. And um, I was at a, I was at this party when we were writing the record. I met this doctor, and he was saying like over half of the visits he gets um, as a general practitioner are people coming in for anxiety-related stuff. And then I noticed there's an anxiety column in the Times. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there's just all this all this stuff. And I'm like, are we living in particularly anxious times? Then we were in also I went to, the, to see The Scream at the Munch Museum. Mm-hmm. And that's about anxiety. And that was in 1900. Okay. So, you know, maybe it's just part of our human condition. But I really think the way that we kind of project in this day and age, you know, we kind of this, especially online, mm-hmm. this projection of who we want to be, versus who we are and i think that space in the middle fills in with anxiety interesting. and i think the anxious people the most anxious people are the people who are the most furthest away from those.
2: yeah do you ever find out when you're writing a record only after you look back and said man that was really on my mind it, and you start
0: learning something from the record that you didn't beforehand yeah. it reveals itself to you in some you know some part of it you yeah. know like you're you're like god and then you're like looking back and like god, that that one word like truth you know i, I only well into the record I became obvious that the truth was almost in th- every song
2: yeah start learning something about yourself I feel like after yeah we
0: live in a lot we live in a time where it's very easy to lie to each other
2: yeah that's true that's true I think there's a lot of uh, uh, salacious stories and a lot of the rags that'll prove that over and over yeah and over, so. yeah yeah, uh, the other theme that uh, seems to come up with you and through your entire career, and it's almost been inspiring and um, interesting, is your use of the word scene, <laughs> whether it's the unified scene or or what, whatever it is. And I say that because you talk about scenes, you talk about you know your hometown scenes, whether it's in Minnesota or whether it's in New York, and you talk about the scenes around the country. When I travel around the country, it's easy to see. Everything looking the exact same. Mm-hmm. I mean, how are how are you finding those little details at this point where you can really celebrate that? In such well, a you world? don't really
0: know, but I mean, you don't really you can't jump into a, a city and find it, you know. But mm-hmm. I think it, it, a lot of it pulls back to just being involved in hardcore when I was a kid mm-hmm. and having a real scene. Meaning, there if you, there was a show you went and it was like I didn't I don't even like this band, but mm-hmm. I got to go because I'm part of the scene. And uh, sort of thinking about that as a community, I think like. Again, you know, it's so, so easy for us to stay home these days that, like, a rock, the rock thing is kind of this community thing, you right. know. And it's like you can go to a rock show, and you can go alone, and, but you can turn to the guy next to you and say, oh, cool deer tick shirt, and all of a sudden you're talking to that guy, and it's not weird. It's not like you just were in a bar and said, hey, man.
1: you that's know. True. So, yeah.
0: so there's a there's the real community thing, and I think that that's, that's kind of what rock and roll one of the things, the, uh, one of its strengths, you know, yeah. especially right now. It's interesting you put it that way, because with the loss of,
2: like, CD stores and everything, it almost makes venues the, the last yeah. place you can go. Unless you're a smoker, and you've and always got that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've always got that. You can walk out. But if you don't know smoking, if you don't do smoking, you don't know sports, you're just kind of screwed unless you've got the rock and roll venue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to bring out something, because there's also an anniversary of something else happening in the world right now that's brought up one of your old papers, and and that's this right here. Yeah, yeah. This right here. This is the Uncle Tupelo. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me a little bit about this, because suddenly Uncle Tupelo gets a deluxe edition of No Depression, and people start bringing out this old paper that you've written a long time ago. I mean, This is the world where nothing ever goes away. I
0: wrote uh, for the Boston College Heights um, record reviews, yeah. which is, um, I probably did, I don't know, not that many. Eight total, maybe, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but the guy knew. Um, you could open it. A guy, the uh, guy, the guy who like was the music editor. used to see me at shows, and asked me to do it. And I think I wrote on the second record, uh, "Still Feel Gone," actually, mm-hmm. or I wrote a preview of one of their shows. But right. when they were going through all the press for the Uncle Tupelo stuff, someone found it and and uh, the, from the clippings, and they called me and said, "Well, could we put this on the internet?" And I was yeah. like, "Yeah, that's fine." It wasn't that embarrassing. <laughs> um, the best, of, the best thing of that period was. Um, I wrote a really um, a positive review on the Green Day Kerplunk, their second uh-huh, album, right. And someone wrote in the letter to the editors that, um, they, that we need to be covering, uh, you know, more mainstream music, and no one's ever heard of Green Day, and no <laughs> one ever will. So it's <laughs> really nice. They laugh last. Do you, ever, do you write any more like this? No.
2: Rock review. Do you have any uh, desires too? Uh, you know, when you're at that age,
0: you want people to. You kind of want to know people to a know you know stuff that they don't know. Yeah. And B, you kind of want people to like everything you like, sure. except just a little after you, so you can lord it over right. them. Yeah. <laughs> when you turn a certain age, and you you shouldn't have that. Uh, and that age is about twenty seven. Uh-huh. So no, I have. <laughs> you, shot, let that you know, go. I've I've ri- I have written things for like the Talk House, but it's all just things I really like. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, just to try to. Um, but. For the most part, I, I did, that bone's not in my body anymore. Yeah.
2: Well, it's fun to look back, especially on what Uncle Tupelo brought out for Americana, yeah. and now it being such a strong, vibrant genre yeah. in itself. You yeah. know? So you were ahead. You were lording it over. Yeah, it. I was lording it over. <laughs> I went. Yeah, you did. All right, uh, Hold Steady, uh, thank you so much, Teeth well, Dreams. Thanks Looking for forward us. to it. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, great to see you. Yeah, thanks for thank having us. Craig and Tad from the Hold Steady. That one's back in uh, 2014, talking about the record Teeth Dreams. Again, the new album is called Thrashing Through the Passion. And don't forget, before you get out of here, to hit the subscribe button. If you're not already a subscriber to the series, you can do that at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And if you are already a subscriber, uh, give the series a rating, leave a review, or just say hi, where you're listening from or what you liked about the interview. We'd love to hear from you. After that, head to wfpk.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I premiere new songs, do some music news, celebrate some anniversaries, and uh, throw some clips from these interviews as well. It's wfpk.org. Consequenceofsound.net has your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.